we're going to talk about uh, what we just heard, actually, our last passage, uh, just for a few minutes. And uh, before I do that, I thought it would be good to pray again. So I'm going to very briefly pray, ask for God's help, and then we'll dive into what we've been looking at. Hopefully learn a bit more about Christmas if we can. So let's just pray together as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all we've done so far, for all the songs we've sung. They're very familiar to us. And if, I guess, many of us will be thinking that story is familiar that we've just heard, uh, please help us now to uh, perhaps move aside that uh, familiarity and look with fresh eyes. Uh, Challenge our hearts and our minds, we pray, so that we might understand more about Christmas and how you've loved us so amazingly in Jesus. Amen. Well, I guess... I guess for many of us, Christmas is, is kind of about finding those warm, lovely, Christmassy feelings, isn't it? Those warm feelings. So we think about the, the food. The food, all the immense amount of food. My mum goes ballistic, you wouldn't believe it. We, Christmas jumpers, certainly I can see one or two being worn tonight. They're, they're a big thing this year, aren't they? We had Christmas jumper day the other day, which is quite extraordinary. Mistletoe, even though it's a druid celebration, we like that stuff. It seems to go up in the, up, in the offices and all that kind of place. We love the family, we love the beer, we love the wine, the sherry, the port, the whiskey, the gin, and so on. We love it all, it's great. Perhaps in our minds we also conjure up those images of, uh, you know, just leaning across the the fireplace with the roaring fire, wearing our Christmas jumper under the mistletoe, singing those songs of those great Christmas traditions and so on. We can think back to the American songs, can't we? Yeah, chestnuts roasting and all that kind of stuff. It brings those warm Christmas feelings, doesn't it, to us. Now, what is Britain's, this says a lot about Britain, what is Britain's favourite Christmas song, uh, song outside of carols? Anyone know? It was in the paper this week, actually. Did anyone see it? It was a little poll that was done. It was that famous one by the Pogues. The fairy tale of New York. You remember? It kind of goes, it was Christmas Eve. And it goes on. In the drunk tank, it says. And an old man said to me, won't see another one. I mean, it's a really chirpy song, isn't it? I mean, Britain's favourite Christmas song is essentially about... Well, in the end, it's suicide in that song. But we won't go there. You know, it just gets worse and worse. And that seems to be part of our Christmas culture. The irony is, though, isn't it, when that song pipes up, you know, in the store, or, you know, as you're going around doing Christmas shopping, or even in the office, it brings those warm Christmas feelings. The irony is, it's, it's pretty much about death, and very sad circumstances. But we do anything to make ourselves feel comfortable, because that, for what, for many of us, is what Christmas is all about. Getting those cosy, warm feelings as much as possible. And I guess, do you, do you approach Christmas, the Christmas story, with that same sort of mindset? Like singing fair, the fairy tale of New York in the pub. You know, you accept it, but on your terms. That is, only if it brings the warmth and the comfort that you want at Christmas. I want to show you very briefly tonight that... If you do that with the Christmas story, then I think you're sorely missing the point. Well, at least the story of the real Christmas. Now, let me show you briefly why. Did you hear from that historical account that you heard? That's from Luke's Gospel. It's a very well-attested historical account of the life and the death of Jesus and all that he did in between. And, And from that, did you hear the response of the shepherds? Cast your eyes down if you want to. Have a look at it at the end of verse 9. It's amazing. They were terrified. You see, at the heart of the Christmas story, it's amazing, isn't it? 
there's fear. But then, I don't want to get too gloomy, I mean, it, immediately the angel says, do not fear. I mean, there's good news to come of great joy that will bring peace. And it's a good peace. It's an eternal peace between us and God. So there's fear and there's peace on offer at Christmas. Now, the way that this story is written is really fascinating, literature-wise. The way that he's put it together in the Greek, he's basically saying these two things are mutually exclusive. That is, the author is saying you've got a choice. You can either have Christmas peace with God eternally, or you can just know Christmas fear. I want us to very quickly, if we can, look at that fear first. I don't want to dwell it too much. I don't want to be a big, you know, big downer and so on. But, but let's have a look, if we can. Verses 8 and 9. Let me just read them out again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. We had an angel this morning. She was about this high, dressed in little gold sparkly things. She wasn't particularly terrifying, but we did our best. And it appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. See, look at the story. It begins in dark fields. And they watched these shepherds. They watched their flocks at night. Simply, I guess, they were just getting on with their own lives, weren't they? Following their down a daily routine. But the darkness, that's really interesting, I think. We don't make much of it today. We've got electric lights and everything like that, you know. But in those days, in ancient literature certainly, they made much more of darkness than we do today. It's not the kind of, they're not thinking of the, the scary darkness of like my boy struggles to sleep at night, it's too dark. You know, it's not that kind of stuff. He's saying, you know, because actually, you see, the shepherds, they're quite happy, aren't they, in their darkness? They're watching their flocks, they're getting on with their day. You know, they're getting on the train up in, up in Earlsfield, they're heading up to the city, they earn a good wage, they love a bit more, but who wouldn't, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, but they're in darkness, it seems, these shepherds. They're missing out on something, but they can't see it at the moment. And they may be not even wanting it. Darkness is this kind of isolated kind of self-sufficiency. I'm happy where I am, thank you very much. And it can be a happy place, but only for a time. What happens? What happens in the story? Into their darkness, their happy, content darkness, this light comes, doesn't it? Through, through this angel. And it's terrifying. It's interesting, we don't really have a word in our language for what is being written here. The word in the, in the Greek is actually phobic, which is we get our phobia words and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting because it's a double word. Essentially saying the shepherds, they're phobic, phobic. We don't, we don't have any word to describe how scared they were. They're petrified. They're, they're double petrified. They're off the scale of fear, if you like. But why? Aren't angels all sweet and lovely and shiny? We just sang, mighty dread had seized their troubled minds. But why? Just think for a moment. What is fear? What is fear? Think about it. We all fear some things, don't we? Why do you have a mirror, for example? It's because you fear what people will think of you when you walk out the door. You probably even fear yourself when you get up in the morning as well, but that, you know, that, maybe that's just me. But fear is best seen, I guess, in the ways that we kind of make ourselves feel safe. Do you know what I mean by that? 
We use all sorts of aspects of our lives, don't we, to make ourselves feel secure and safe. We use our talents, our gifts, or whatever you want to call them, our abilities, our families, the security of that, maybe our wealth, maybe even the relationships we're in, the jobs that we're in, maybe even our looks. Obviously not me, but you know, maybe you, that's fine. See, you fear, don't you, what your colleagues think at you at work, so you, you put the extra hours in, you make sure you're the last to leave that office, just so they see. You massage your CV a little bit. And when you do that project at work where everyone else has been helping you, you take all the credit because you fear what your boss might think of you if you don't take it all. You fear what you know, people think of your looks as well, don't you? So you buy your products. Obviously not too many for me, but you, know, you, you buy your products, you put your makeup on, you, buy your sh- you, you get everything you possibly can because you fear what people might say about you if you appear in a certain way. And we use all these things in our lives to build up what we think is this kind of impen- impenetrable kind of security net round us. To say, I'm safe. But I guess much of it can be a bit of a lie, can't it? And I guess fragile. I mean, look at what you've built up in your life to make you feel safe today and for the next week or so. And can you really trust any of it? Well, maybe for a time. But all of those things I've mentioned, they're pretty precarious, aren't they? The looks will fade, won't they? If they haven't already. Certainly a downward line, isn't it? And it gets quicker. The jobs. We're living in a pretty precarious state in in our economy at the moment. Is everything secure? You may think it is this week. The families, even that, they can let you down. The friends can let you down. The relationship that you long for may never happen. Or the relationship you're in may actually fail. At root, I guess, what we've done, many of us, all of us, in some ways, we've trusted ourselves to feel safe in this world. We've put this whole barrier of, of things that make you feel safe That's the way I'm going to be safe. And it's all about you and what you can do. The flip side of that is essentially what we've done is said, I'm not going to trust God with anything in this world. Not at all. See, the shepherds here, they're in the dark. They're happy getting on with their lives. They've got their their sheep. They've got, you know, the whole economy of sheep, whatever that is, um, you know, around them. and, And they're very happy in that. They've probably got their rugged, shepherdly good looks when they go down to Bethlehem local as well. Everything's fine. And a crook, whatever that does for you. I mean, things are good. But what God does is shine this kind of light of reality into their lives and they're terrified. And that's what happens when you get close to God. You see in this passage, it's something specific about God that actually terrifies them. You you notice that it's the glory of God. And essentially that that is the bigness of God, or the weightiness, or the the massive scale of God. That's what terrifies them. The shepherds have begun to see, actually, life seems good, but I'm tiny, I'm fragile in comparison to the bigness and the greatness of God. And as you get close to God, as you get close to the heart of Christmas... You will see it's not necessarily chestnuts roasting on an open fire with a lovely jumper on. 
It's far more humbling than that. And it can be even quite frightening. I remember when I began to take God seriously as a younger lad. And I remember being very proud, very arrogant. And everything seemed to be working out in life. And it was good. I had a wonderfully privileged life, I would say. But when you get close to God, you see, my self-image was utterly destroyed. Because I began to see myself with the perspective of one who was utterly perfect, utterly glorious, huge in comparison to my weak and fragile life. You know, I can, I can probably you know, tick off like many of you can. You know, I went to the right kind of school, and then I went to a great university, and then I sort of slipped into a very nice job, and a very, I got bought my first house because granny was kind. And, and you, know, often, you know, you tick all these boxes, and you think, look at the protection I've got. Aren't I really safe? But when you come face to face with God, you begin to realize who you are. And how fragile you really are. Let me just finish this a little bit. One of the, I guess, most difficult things that I have in my job as a church minister is to see people as um, they near death. In their last breaths, on on their beds. And some of you are thinking right now, oh, this is a load of rubbish. Look at this guy, he's just dampening down my Christmas. Boo him. He's like, you know, the grim reaper of Christmas. You're not thinking God is terrifying. You're just saying, oh, let's just bear through the next few minutes and get down to the pub. Thank you very much. But you know what? I have never met a person who is about to die who isn't phobic phobic. And if you think when you're going to die, you're going to absolutely nothing. Why are people so scared? The shepherds saw the glory of God. They saw his utter huge bigness, his eternity. And they saw their fragility. And exposed who they were. And they were utterly terrified. But it doesn't end there. Here comes the good news. You can all smile now. Breathe a breath of relief. Here we go. There's peace to those on whom his favour rests, it says in that last verse. But I want to take you back to verse 10. Have a look at it if you can with me. Um, It says this, but an angel said to them, here's a good bit, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem by the way, a saviour has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now you see, God is terrifying. Yes, he is. But he doesn't have to be. There's a solution, if you like, offered here. He says, fear not the angel, doesn't he? Fear not, you don't have to fear God. But what does he say? He says, I bring you. More in the original, it says, take hold of what I'm about to tell you, this good news. Grab hold of it with open arms. Behold, some of the carols say, don't they? What does he bring? Good news of great joy. What's the good news? Let's have a look at it. There's just a few things I want to mention here. Firstly, a saviour has been born. You see that? That's the good news of great joy. A saviour has been born. Jesus is a saviour. He was born as a man. In this tiny little you know, major stable. We heard that brilliant poem about it earlier on. But Jesus didn't remain there. He grew up. But the amazing thing about Jesus is he lived an absolutely perfect life. He lived a perfect life that I cannot live. And I don't think you can either. 
even at his trial, it was very interesting. Those who absolutely hated him, they tried to pin something on him. said, you did that when you were 14 years old in the playground. I saw you. Not one thing they could find. Even those who hated him. And I can't live a life like that. I let myself down every day. That's why I've got a snooze button on my phone. And I guess you let yourself down too. In your work, in your relationships, anything. You set yourself a standard and you don't quite meet it, do you? Well, God's standard is up there. It's infinitely perfect. And I let him down every day and you do too. See, God in his glory, that that amazing, terrifying glory that the shepherds saw, can only accept perfection. And he knows every, every single detail of my life and every single detail of your life, whether it's in your mind, in your heart, wherever it may be, in your actions, in your speech. He knows everything and he knows all the worst stuff that's to come. But he loves you so much. And so much so that he has given his son to be this saviour. To live as one of us, a perfect life, as God intended. And to offer that perfect life, to be counted, if you like, exchanged with my life. There's a swap on offer here in this good news. And his perfect life can be counted as mine. As yours. And what the angel is saying here, he's saying, take hold, grab onto this life-saving ring, if you like, this good news that Jesus has been born as a saviour. First, he's a saviour. Secondly, he's Christ the Lord. If you want peace on this earth between you and God that will last for eternity, the thing is, you've got to have Jesus as Lord. This is the difficult bit, I think. It sounds very dull, doesn't it? To have Jesus ruling your life, King, Lord of your life, sounds very dull. So what do most of you do? What do most of us do all the time? I guess you push away God because you think, if God comes into this part of my life, it's going to get really miserable. It's going to get so dull in comparison to the way I'm living it right now. And basically what you're doing there is you're saying, I think of myself, I think my way of doing my life is much better than God's way. That's what you've done. That's what I do. And you're basically also saying, I trust myself with my life more than I trust God. And you're also saying, I trust myself more in my death than I trust God. But what has it brought you? Do you still fear? I guess you do. What's the message here? It's saying take hold of the good news that Jesus is the saviour. The Christ is the title of that, if you like. And the Lord that is king of all of our lives. Now, it doesn't take all your fears away, but it does take the biggest one away. Because now there is peace between us and God if we take hold of this good news. If we trust this good news that Jesus is Christ and Lord. It takes the biggest fear away. But do you know what? It mellows all the other fears. I wasn't completely truthful earlier. Please forgive me for that. I have been at the bedside of some people. And it's been a moving privilege to see them die. Let me tell you about them. They are people who have taken hold of this good news. And that Jesus is the saviour and lord. And those people are called Christians. It's a simple thing. 
Now, Christians, they still have our fears. I mean, I worry about all sorts of things. I worry about my family. My wife, who has MS, actually. I worry what the future looks like. I worry about my children in the school. They're in a great school now, but will they always be? Will they always be safe? I worry about all sorts of things. But do you know what I have to do? What I think is pretty wise to do? I trust God's wisdom on all of those things more than I trust my own. I think he's got my life in more control than I have got my life in control. And he's certainly got my death in his hands more than I have got my death in the control of my hands. Uh, Is it dull and boring? I suggest you ask the person who brought you. Why don't you come and find out some more? Look at the last verse just to finish. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men, women, on whom his favour rests. See, that's what's on offer here, guys. God's favour and his peace. That is what Christmas is all about. And what the angel is saying here to the shepherds and to you and me, saying, take hold of this good news. That Jesus is Saviour and Lord. And that peace and that favour of God can be yours. Today. And for every day of your life. Now, perhaps you're kind of sat here and you're kind of thinking, oh, this is all a bit too far-fetched. Some of you have dismissed everything I've said because, oh, you're saying, oh, the historicity of what's going on here in the Bible. Yeah. If you've got questions, come and see me. I think I've got some pretty rational, intelligent answers to that. If you dare. Some of you just want to sing carols and go down to the pub and for a beer. So do I. Some of you just look at this story and wonder how something so fragile, born in such an obscure place, can have any effect in your life today. Again, ask the person that brought you. See what effect their grabbing hold of this good news has had an effect in their life today. Because it has. But you're right in some ways, aren't you? I mean, the way this all-powerful Son of God came to this earth... It is a bit weird, isn't it? It seems a bit odd. But don't let the way that something is delivered undermine the preciousness of what has been delivered. Let me tell you a story. Two minutes to finish, okay? Many of you will know the Cullinan Diamond, especially if you're South African, because it was was found there in your first mine, or whatever it's called. It's the largest ever rough-cut diamond that's ever been found. It was 3,000 carats. Imagine that on your finger, girls. That would be pretty special, wouldn't it? But, you know, it's a rough-cut diamond. What they need to do is they need to cut it up and polish it up to, to make it useful. And South Africa, very generously, thank you guys, we don't only appreciate your Buravos, but we actually like your diamonds too. But there we go. You, you gave us this wonderful diamond to the King of England at that time, 1905. And it was given, firstly, though, to a man in Amsterdam to cut it up and polish it. His name was Joseph Asher. And he got hold of this 3,000 carat diamond and he made large, uh, sorry, nine large diamonds, Cullinan 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and then 96 small diamonds. Cullinan 1 is still the biggest diamond in the world. Cullinan 2 um, is the second biggest diamond in the world. They sit in the coronation scepter and the coronation crown of the crown jewels in the Tower of London. Now, but, to get into Amsterdam, to London, from Joseph Asher's little studio, 
What the, um, uh, the British Army did, or the Navy, they brought up a massive destroyer across to escort this diamond, Cullinan 1, across from Amsterdam to London. Armed machine gun, weapon guys, you know, and to just take this diamond. They were really worried it was going to be stolen. But they put on that destroyer a decoy. And Joseph Asher walked out of his studio in Amsterdam, put his duffel coat on, slipped the Cullinan 1 into his pocket, walked onto the ferry, and came across and personally handed Cullinan 1 to the King of England. I tell you that story for this reason, this reason alone. Don't let the way that something is delivered undermine the preciousness of what is delivered. The single most precious commodity the world has ever known, the Lord Jesus, born in a manger, has been given to you. Didn't look very impressive, but it's for you in God's love. And you have a choice. You can have Christmas fear either now or one day when all the safety nets of your life have come down, or you can have that Christmas peace. You will have to engage in that reality at some point. And I guess my prayer is for you tonight that you would do it today, or at least begin a conversation, a journey to begin thinking about that before all the safety nets have come down and you meet God in all his glory. I'd love you to know the peace and favour of God resting on you for eternity. It is unbelievable. Come and find out more. Let me pray to finish. Heavenly Father, I am looking forward to a lovely cold beer tonight and so many other things of this Christmas time. I'm looking forward to seeing my friends and my family and I haven't seen them for a long time and my dad is ill. And I, I, I can think of so many things that could distract me from this real message, the real message of Christmas. So please help me and help all of us here to just spend moments this Christmas time amongst all the fun that is right and proper to just think, consider, reflect on what we've been looking at tonight so that we might know the peace that only you can bring today and forevermore. Thank you so much for Jesus. Amen.